So I was just sitting there wondering, uh, when is the last time we, in the summertime, celebrated sunshine? Think about that, right? I mean, for years, it's been, God, send us rain, send us rain, send us rain, send us rain, and why doesn't he send us rain? And now it's like, Lord, and I'm not complaining, um, I'm not complaining, but Wow, how, how things change, right? And how sometimes we, I don't know, I, it, it, one of those screens say, what happens when the storms don't stop? Well, it seems like it's just been storm after storm after storm after storm. I've been chatting with my brother almost every day here in the last week, week and a half. You know, they, they, they got a hailstorm just kind of sort of on their section on Memorial Day and, and took out their first cutting of hay that they, they bale in small squares and sell through Murdoch's in Cheyenne for horse hay and and, uh, and then just a few days ago, uh, you know, they had some ping pong ball sized hail. And I, you know, it's like, uh, how is it? Did, did you have the hay down? He said, we had part of it down. Is it, is it better down or up? And he goes, I guess we'll see. Um, he said, and, and then, then he said, it's worth, it's worth windrowing anyway. So, you know, I mean, uh, it, it, and it just reminds me. Uh, you know, his, his response was not, woe is me. It's, well, okay, you, you get up the next day and you do what you can do. You can't control the weather. You, you can't control when it rains, how much it rains, if it hails, if a tornado shows up. We don't control any of that. Uh, all we can control is our attitude as we experience those things. And we're finding that to be the case in the book of Job. Job lost everything. Everything. Um, he has his... He has his life, not his health. He has his life and he has his wife and three friends who have turned out to be, you know, not so encouraging uh, over the last three or four weeks of messages. And uh, today we are in chapter 25 and 26 of the book of Job. If you haven't turned there yet, please turn in your Bibles to chapter 25 and 26. And today we finally come to the end of a grueling three-round, three-cycle conversation with these friends of his who are sitting with him at the city dump as he has lost everything and uh, is just even wondering and, and in some ways wishing he could take his last breath. I mean, it's that hard. It's that rough. And, and if you don't know anything about Job, I just, I just want to kind of catch you up to speed. Um, this this pain, this suffering that's been happening to him isn't discipline for some sin that he was committing. Twice in the early chapters, God refers to Job, to Job as, as righteous. Um, this wasn't discipline. It was, was really a test. Because Satan said, you know, he only, he's only faithful to you because you give him stuff. You know, Job's only faithful to you because you bribe him. And God's like, okay, let's test your theory. Uh, you know, and he turns Job over to, to Satan and says, you can, you can do all of this stuff, but just don't take his life. And so he does. And then Satan comes back again after Job lost all of his servants and all of his kids and all of his property, his animals and, and all of that. And uh, God says, he's, he's still, he's like, yeah, still, you know, you, you still put a hedge of protection around him. You know, his health is okay. And God says, well, okay, you can take that too, but just don't take his life. And of course, we all sit here and think, man, I pray God's not having that conversation with the enemy about me, right? 
But I mean, we all honestly should at some point in time endure testing in our own life that proves the genuineness of our faith. I mean, we, we should not be faithful to God only because he, he blesses us with stuff, which he does. But, but he also wants to grow us. And, and, and I want to grow, but, but sometimes I'm, it's just like I've done enough growing, God. I, you know, the hard things can stop. But he's God, and, and he knows what he's doing, and I need to just to be able to trust him with that. And, and if he sees it fit to let, you know, baseball-sized hail come through the place, then, then the question becomes, what am I going to do in face of this hardship? Because that's what it is. Uh, pictures of, I saw some video and some pictures of several ranches west of Albin and they got, I mean, the, the hailstones came through their steel roofs and, and one of the videos is, and he must have had a skylight in his house because it's hailing inside his living room. It's bouncing off the carpet. And, and of course, everybody was like, you know, we're praying for you and we'll, we'll, we can come help if you need something. And, and, and it, his first post was a little bit whiny. I mean, just a little bit. His second post about four hours later was, you know what, we're all okay, our animals are all okay, the place is just a mess. What a great attitude. Now, I don't know, you know, the next day it probably sunk in how big of a mess his place was, but we like to say that bottom line, if my relationship with God is good, then I am good. And we need to carry that through suffering, times of suffering and hardship, when we lose something that's very near and dear to us, a, a possession or, a, or even a family member. God is, he's still got this. And, and, and we just need to hang on with him. So, so here we are in chapter 25 and 26, and uh, uh, Bildad actually is once again making the point that God is righteous and should not be questioned by by humans. He, he's basically summarizing his previous arguments in just six verses. And I'm going to read those six verses for us today. We, they've been long and drawn out today. They're not. They're, our, our two chapters are very short. Job 25 verse 1, then Bildad the Shuhite replied, dominion and awe belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of heaven. Can his forces be numbered? On whom does his light not rise? How then can a mortal be righteous before God? How can one born of a woman be pure? If even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes, how much less a mortal who is but a maggot, a human being who is only a worm. And then chapter 26, then Job replies, and, and quite sarcastically, I might add in these first few verses, how you have helped the powerless. How you have saved the arm that is feeble. What advice you have offered to one without wisdom. Thanks, friends. And what great insight you have displayed. Who has helped you utter these words? And whose spirit spoke from your mouth? The dead are in deep anguish, those beneath the waters and all that live in them. The realm of the dead is naked before God. Destruction lies uncovered. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds 
over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his wisdom, he cut Rahab to pieces. By his breath, the skies became fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent, and these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. How then can understand, who then can understand the thunder of his power? And, and I think we could, be, we could be tempted as we read through the book of Job to having gone through cycle after cycle and after attack after attack of Job's friends just to move on. Yep, more of the same. Let's go on to the next chapter. Let's get to the end. Let's get to the good stuff. We're going to get there. We, we truly are. And we might be tempted to jump right past this, but man, there is such great depth of thought and pain and description of power and transcendence in these two chapters, just in these two. And oh, how far humanity has fallen, Bildad says. Oh, how frail we are. So far we have fallen, he says, that as human beings, we are maggots. We are worms. We are the... When's the last time you thought of a maggot, right? I mean, just low, low organism. There are two topics that I want to look at this morning. Actually, three. Um, two topics in these, these two chapters. The first one is this. Humanity has fallen. We've fallen. I mean, we, I really probably just could leave it at that, but I'm not. I'm going to describe this a little bit more, uh, but it's an observation that we can make every day. E even people with no knowledge of the Bible, no knowledge of spirituality, know that something's up in the world, that, that there's something broken, there's something wrong with the way life is. Something isn't right. And it started out that way, way back in the beginning. Uh, but but we have fallen and, and we line ourselves up to an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. When we compare ourselves to him, we're pretty insignificant, aren't we? I mean, we can feel like an ant on the top of, a, of an anthill. Uh, just like what, I'm just so insignificant in, in life. Um. And, and the reality is we are insignificant before God. Um, we are described over and over and over and over again in Scripture as sheep, wandering sheep. We're like sheep. And, and you know, many of you know what I think about sheep. Um, I know a lot about sheep. I raised sheep. Um, that's one of the reasons I don't like sheep is because I spent so much time with them. But over and over and over, God says that we, me, I am like a sheep. Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. I, I acknowledge that in my own life. Um, if... If I didn't have a loving shepherd showing me the way, I would just be wandering around out there trying to find, 
you know, green blades of grass, falling off cliffs, ending up upside down where I can't stand right side back up again, dying for no reason, you know, getting myself in places where I shouldn't, just wandering around. That's what sheep do. They, or, or if there's a leader sheep, they wander that sheep. They wander after that sheep. If you can get one sheep to go where you want them to go, it's like open the floodgates, you ain't stopping the rest of them. The problem with that is, if you get one sheep that goes where you don't want it to go, the same exact thing happens. And we all are like sheep. I mean, that's what Bildad is even driving at in Job chapter 25, verse 4. How, can, how then can a mortal be righteous before God? How can one born of, of woman be pure? He's still driving the fact that, Job, there's got to be something wrong. There's got to be some sin in your life. You can't be righteous. It's impossible. And, and we're going to find, and God's going to correct them, that, that he just doesn't understand God. And, and praise Jesus for this fact. We're going to see it later on in the message. But, but we're so insignificant. We're, we're, we're frail. Um, and, and like Job's friends, we all fail at serving others. That's another truth that sometimes it's pretty hard to hear. Because we all like to think the best of about, about ourselves. And sometimes when you hear from someone else that maybe you weren't so caring in that place, it's like, Ouch, right? Um, I didn't really want to hear that, though I probably needed to hear that. Um, we, are, we are no match for God's purity and his righteousness. He is pure. He is righteous. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And it doesn't take long for our selfishness and self-centeredness to rear its ugly head. I mean, I don't want to be found, I don't want to be found weak. Because I know how I think about other people when I think that they're weak. And it's not very great. Or, or if they're not good at something that I'm good at. Because then it's like, okay. I'm going to, and it's really, I, oh, so I watched somebody try to back up a trailer yesterday. <laughs> Been doing it since I was 12 years old. Oh, it was hard to just watch. Uh, on one hand, I wanted to help them. But on the other hand, maybe I also had certain little amount of pride where I wanted to show somebody that I could do something that they couldn't. So we have to be careful in serving others that we are actually serving them because we want to help them, not because we want to make ourselves look better. Uh, you know, spend, spend a day at the lake and watch people back boats up into the water. Um, because I've done it for people. I mean, I've, some of them asked, could you do this for me, please? After 15 minutes of watching them, I'm like, yes! Yes, I will. I will do this for you. I got places to go, people to see. Um, you know, sometimes in our efforts to prove 
that we are not weak or we are not insignificant, we can end up on the wrong side of God, and we need to be cautious about that. And that's what happens to Job's friends. Um, you know, we can deny others' feelings and, and needs below our own. Instead, we should live out Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Wow. Felt that the last couple days. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We often protect ourselves at all costs when what we should really be doing is valuing and protecting other people. Um, you know, do you, ever, do you ever read things on Facebook? Nobody in here reads anything on Facebook, right? The, the one thing that I just, I'm about done with on Facebook is those pithy little sayings that people just throw out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that some of them are, are, are good and we need to think about some of them, but, but many of them are really bad. Like, you should always be thinking about yourself and you should, I, I, a lot of those are, it just pulls me into self and I want to comment, and I know that that would just be not a good thing for myself and for them, probably, because I would probably do that from a position of self-righteousness, you know, um, but, but part of me just, it's like, is the author, is the author, you know, is, did this come from the Bible? <laughs> um, because if it didn't come from the Bible, um, or it's not about, it's not explaining something from the Bible, then, then maybe I shouldn't be thinking that. Um, I, I, I could show you hundreds of examples from the last few days, actually, of, of things like that. Um, but many times we all fail to um, serve others just like Job's friends did. And, and then in Job's response, um, and... and in Job's response to Bildad, he also talks about the weakness of humanity, but he looks at it from a different perspective. And, and I think this is where we need to go next. Job chapter 26, verses 2 and 3. Job says this, How you have helped the powerless, how you have saved the arm that is feeble, what advice you have offered to one without wisdom, and what great insight you have displayed. Yes, Job agrees with Bildad. Human beings are weak. We are weak, and he wants to know what his friends have done to help those who are frail and who need assistance. All three of them have failed God in his mission on this earth to serve others. They, they have certainly failed to comfort Job in his time of great suffering. They may not be able to lift that suffering off of him, but they can certainly come up alongside him, put their arm around him, and say, I don't know what you need, but you know what? I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. In fact, let me pray for you right now. Well, I, I don't, do Job's friends, at least, were not told. They ever pray for him? Or do they just try to figure out why he's experiencing what he's experiencing and come up with the wrong conclusions? And, you know, the enemy, the, Job's friends are right where the enemy wants them. They're discouraging Job further. And that's what the enemy wants to do, is discourage Job to the point where he'll say, 
screw you, God, uh, because I don't have any of this stuff again. I'm, I guess I'm on my own. That's what the enemy wants us to do. But we have to hold on to the truth of God's word, and we have to recognize that as hard as it is, nothing happens with ha- without having passed through the hands of God first. And since this did, what's my next step? Am I going to trust him? Am I going to hang on to him? And, and the answer has to be yes, because where else would we turn? Um, you see, we are insignificant and we are frail, but we need to, in, in comparison to, to God, but we need to recognize that in comparison to God, though we are frail and insignificant, that does not mean we don't have value. See, I may not be worthy, but God has found me to be of great worth. Um, Despite our frailty, we have great value in the eyes of God. It it is quite, in fact, Job says, the opposite of what you're saying, Bill Dad. Why, Why else would David have written, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You can say the very same thing. I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. God made me. God made me. Paul testified to the fact that God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. If you are a Christ follower, that's truth about you. Right there in Ephesians 1, chapter 4. Um, every one of us hearing this message today were known to God before the earth and all of creation ever even came into existence. Right? If that doesn't blow your mind, you're not thinking right this morning. God knew everything about you. Everything. And he still created you. But he didn't just bring you into existence like he did the animals. He first created you in his image. Okay, he gave you attributes of himself. In the simplest terms, this means that we were made to resemble God, the image of God. In Latin, it's, I wasn't going to say it, but it's right here. I can't pronounce it. I don't know Latin. It refers to the immaterial part of humanity. It's what sets us apart from the animal world. It it fits us for the dominion God intended for us to have over the earth. And it enables us to be able to commune with our maker. It is a likeness mentally, morally, and socially to God. Okay, and and really quick, I want to get through this. Mentally... Humanity was created as, a, as rational, willful beings. God created us that way, in his image, as rational, willful beings. In other words, we can reason and we can choose. Animals, they, they don't really have that. It's instinct. It's not necessarily reason.
It's a reflection of God's intellect and freedom. Anytime someone invents a machine, writes a book, paints a landscape, enjoys a symphony, does math, names a pet, he or she is proclaiming the fact that they were created in God's image. God created us in his image. Uh, We were also created in the image of God morally. Um, We were created in righteousness and perfect innocence. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were put in there, they were righteous and innocent, a reflection of God's holiness. God saw all that he had made and he said what? It is very good. Our conscience or moral compass is a sign of that original state. We just know whenever someone writes a law, withdraws from evil, praises good behavior, or feels guilty, he or she is confirming the fact that we are made in God's image. Um, And socially, we were created for relationship. I say this all the time. This reflects God's triune nature, Father, Son, Holy Spirit present, um, alive in, in three, in, in relationship with himself. And every time someone marries, makes a friend, hugs a child, or attends church, they are demonstrating the fact that they have been created in the image of God. Every human being who has ever lived carries intrinsic value because of who created them. And then, and then, and then, he breathed his breath into us. See, God created all the animals too, right? He created them all, and they just became. But when God formed Adam, he formed him, and there's this, what I can envision, this lifeless form and then God does what? He breathes into him. Wow. Wow. You know that, you know that moment when you're going, when's the doctor going to slap the baby? Right? And, and, you hear, and you hear that, and then the scream, I, I can envision, I don't know if this is how it works, but God breathes into that child and gives them life. They go from breathing fluid to air, right? This wasn't an evolutionary thing, some leftover thing of when we crawled out of the primordial ooze onto the ground and grew legs and these incredibly complex bodies and systems. Really? God breathed his very breath into us. And then, and then he, he gives us life and then he even sacrifices his own life on our behalf in order to reconcile us with himself. He 
He took on the pain and imperfection of sin himself so that you and I could be reconciled to him. So that broken relationships, so that that broken relationship could be stored. It's the very pain and agony that we often experience in this life that helps us realize how amazing and great our God is. That unbelievable and irreconcilable action, at least that's how I think of it. But who would even do that? I don't, I don't know. I've never been asked to. And that brings us to our second observation this morning, and that's that God is great. God is great! And you're thinking, well, no, duh, Pastor David, of course he is. But have you really thought about it? I mean, today, or yesterday, or last week, God is great. First of all, God is far above all things. Bildad is not wrong in how great God is. He's telling truth. He's speaking truth. These friends are speaking truth. In 25 verses 2 and 3, dominion and awe belong to God. Yes, they do. Those are his. He establishes order in the heights of heaven. Can his forces be numbered on whom does his light not rise? And even though it is impossible for us to really comprehend the things that we're going to start see being described later on in the, in the book of Job, the fact remains God is transcendent over all things. And he has total dominion over the moral order of all things. In fact, he's the one that set it all into motion. He created everything from nothing. We don't create. We just reorganize and restructure things that already exist. So in our men's growth study from two weeks ago, we were asked the question, what do you think it was like in the Garden of Eden? And uh, one, of the guys, one of the guys says, well, I think it was pretty simple in the Garden of Eden. And, you know, several others of us were like, yeah, yeah, it was pretty simple. You know, one man, one woman, one rule. Does it, does it get more simple than that? I, I don't think so. And then another guy chimed in and he's like, you know, actually, I, I, think, it, I think it was pretty complex. I was like, okay, why, why do you think that? And, 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 he, and, and then he goes on. He, he's like, everything was brand new. Everything was brand new. You got, you got one man and one woman trying to figure out their relationship with each other. You've got... Um, uh, they're navigating all of this new stuff. I mean, we're, we're still sort of finding new species of things in the bottom of the ocean, but, but for the most part, we kind of know everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. You got me there. But they're, they're, Adam and Eve are in direct relationship with God. I mean, they're like going for walks together. The triune God... And, and you know what? I think he's right. I think it's easy to say, yeah, it was really simple, one rule. But in reality, it is and was probably as complex as life is today. And, that, and, and then just a couple days ago, I was out um, by a lake spending some time with God. And, and it seemed that he drew me to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And, and I want everybody to turn to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 here with me.
Just verse 1 right there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wow, that's cool. No, really think about that. There was nothing but God himself. And God creates the heavens and the earth. That's not... That's not real specific, but that includes a lot. The heavens and the earth, God created it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now with the heavens and the earth in existence, it says that the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface, was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is earth specifically in the middle of our solar system, in the middle of the uh, Milky Way galaxy among thousands or maybe even more galaxies in the universe. God created all of that. He picks one planet. I don't know, maybe pick three or no, I don't even want to go there. He picks one planet and it's, it's Earth. And on this one planet, everything is perfect to sustain life because he created it that way. Thankfully, we're not, you know, um, what's that really little one that wasn't and then now it is again? Pluto. Could you imagine fitting all of us on Pluto? We'd be like elbow to elbow. And then God says, so the spirit of God's hovering over the waters. What does that even look like? Well, as per this other gentleman's comments that got me thinking about this, I don't think it was terribly simple. And God said, let there be light. And there was. <laughs> and God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Now that, I don't think, is the sun. Because that comes in I think God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Okay, but then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters so to separate water, water from water. So God made the expanse and he separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. So now we have like oceans and lakes or one big one still, right? And there's, there's water in the air, in the sky. That's not simple. And God said, God said. And, and so then he, he, he calls, says that he calls the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And then verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the, the gathered waters he called seas. And God said that it was good. 
Then God said, let the land produce vegetation. There's some parts of my backyard I wish I could do that. Produce vegetation. God did that, and it, it, it happened. Seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it. How thoughtful of God. He created things that would recreate themselves, that could reproduce. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. And, and your science teacher told you it was just a big bang that did it all. Well, I mean, I think there were six big bangs. Right? God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. Billions of them. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. We, do you ever really think about that word expanse? It's huge. It's like of universe proportions. And God said, saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And then God continues. He says, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, right? Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that Jesus was just as much a part of creation as he was salvation. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. 
fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food and it was so. God saw all all that he had made, all that he had made, which was all of it. And there was morning the sixth day. So when you see that tree, when you see that blade of grass, when you see that dog, when the neighbor's dog is annoying you, think of it more as a created animal. God created everything. He is far above all things. And and I just, it, it was so good to hear that thought, well, I think it was actually pretty complex because I think I can be oversimplistic about life. And the way God created life is not simple. And, and, and I think because of that, that, that's one of the reasons why we can say, well, God obviously created it because if, if, if it was able to just come about on its own, there would not be a creator, and we have definitely have a creator. I, I, don't, I don't know how you... We were talking about this a couple days ago. Back in the 70s, we thought we were headed for an ice age, right? Because the earth was cooling. Now we think we're, we're headed for global warming because it's, it's getting... It's getting warmer, which it is. There's, there's no denying that fact. And, and who, I don't care how we argue that. The, the thing that, that blows my mind is that God created this planet in such an amazing balance and distance from the sun. And we have gravity and we have the moon and we have these amazing things called tides and there's reasons for those. And I mean, just think about the complexity that God created with. That's who created you. That's who created you. And that's who saved you. That's who saved me. When I threw my life away, when, we, when, 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 when Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation and disobeyed and things got difficult, Jesus came and saved us. The next couple points, I'm just going to put them up because I do not have time. But they all kind of fit into what we just talked about. God is far above the forces of death, destruction, and the afterlife. I mean, there's just no question. He created it all. He's far above it. He's outside of it and in it all at the same time. I don't know how that works. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, Psalm 104.32 says, He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains, and they smoke. God is a force of all forces. He has death and destruction in the palm of his hands. He has determined what the afterlife is going to be like. He determines 
in, in his, by his perfect judgment. He spends eternity. Who spends eternity in heaven? And Satan's destiny is in God's hands as well. Our future, our eternity, he is far above them all. And he rules perfectly without mistake. Without mistake. Um, one place we witness God's greatness is in creation. Um, the sunrise this morning was beautiful. The sunset last night was amazing. I mean, it's, it's, and it's, it's almost like that every day. If, we just, if I just would take time to either be up that early or, or watch it. Um, the prophet Amos in Amos 9.6 said, he, he builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. God created and rules over all of it. The physical evidence we see all around us testifies to that fact. The complexity. Things don't go from a state of Simple to complex on their own, right? They go from order to disorder, not the other way around. You don't have to live in a household very long with other people before you recognize that that's the way life is. The 14th century British spiritual writer Richard Roll said, he truly knows God perfectly that finds him incomprehensible and, and, and unable to be known. He truly knows God perfectly that finds him incomprehensible and unable to be known. In other words, the more we learn about God, the more we discover how much more there is to know. We can't know him. And we're all going to die trying, I pray. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. As human beings, we are frail. We're so needy in this chaotic and broken world. And praise be to God that he is great. No doubt about it. And in his greatness, because of his unmatched love and grace, humanity has been given the gift of of salvation. That's what we are coming to celebrate today. To remember the salvation that we receive in Jesus Christ. He could have ended it all with a flood. God could have ended it all with the flood. Started over, we would even know the difference. But he didn't. He kept a remnant. He saved a remnant. He saved a family. Because he wasn't done with the human race yet. And we each need an advocate. Job cried out. He's cried out multiple times in, in, the, in these first chapters for an advocate. Someone to stand before God the Father on his behalf. Job wanted one. We have one. We have one. Jesus is our advocate before God the Father. He goes to bat for us. When we surrender to Jesus, we are covered with the blood of Jesus. And when we are covered with the blood of Jesus, then God sees us through the blood of Jesus. And that blood of Jesus was shed to give us righteousness, to cleanse us. The, the debt has been paid. Jesus willingly surrendered himself to death on a cross. 
Jesus is literal. You know, we like to say, well, you know, you're judged jury and executioner. Well, I was trying to think about how that would relate to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is judge, jury, and substitutionary sentence fulfiller. I, I don't know. I couldn't come up with a word. But Jesus judges us, finds us guilty, and then takes off his robe, sets it on a chair, gets down, and takes the consequence for us. That's what he did on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. God created us. He saved us. He is our advocate. Jesus is our advocate before God. Jesus is also our savior and sustainer. He saves us from from God's righteous punishment by justifying us with his blood. That's what Jesus did. The chaos of the world. He saves us from that. He saves us from the enemy who deceives the world. For, For all these reasons and more, Jesus is rightfully worshiped as the savior of the world. When we participate in communion this morning because we have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are worshiping him. We are proclaiming. We are thanking him. We are grateful for that sacrifice. And Jesus did not simply save us from something. He saved you for something. By his grace, not by our works, we are saved and sustained. And as God saves us, then he gives us a purpose. He adds purpose to the value, to the worth that we already have because we've been created by him. One of those purposes is to serve others, being their friends. Ephesians 2, 5 through 10 um, Jesus made us, uh, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith in this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Before he set the universe in motion, he knew you were going to be sitting here today. He knew it. He knew what your name was going to be. He, he knew how many hairs are on your head. He knew what you're going to have for lunch, and he knew that you were thinking about what you were going to have for lunch while the pastor was preaching. <laughs> he knew all of that. And he still died for you. He still died for me. What amazing grace. He's our advocate, he's our savior, and our sustainer, and Jesus is our Lord. Have you surrendered to him? Have you? Have you given your life to Jesus? 
Because that's important. It's not just, I know these things about God. It's, it's, have you communicated to him that you are willingly giving up all that you have in your life and surrendering that to him? Maybe today could be that day for you. Maybe today it finally clicked. You're like, you know, God created me. God loves me. Jesus died for me. And, and it's in this moment that you could say, Jesus, thank you for calling my name. I open the door of my life to you. I surrender to you. I believe that you are God, that you are the Messiah, that you are alive today. Please, help me to live for you for the rest of my life. And when we participate in communion this morning, we partake of the bread, which represents the broken body of Christ. And, and, and then we drink the cup, which represents the blood that Jesus shed so that we might remember the significance of what Jesus did and that we might be grateful and that we might worship him this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for, for giving us the ordinance of communion. Jesus, you, you gave it to the disciples who then passed it on to us. And, and you said that we are to do this until you return. And so this morning, as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we remember as we partake of the bread of your broken body and we remember as we drink the cup of the blood that you shed, all of it, to your death. And we thank you for the salvation that we receive, not because you just sacrificed yourself, but because you raised yourself from the dead, that you conquered sin and death. Thank you for being, becoming sin on my behalf. Thank you for calling my name. Thank you for saving me. May that be true of every one of us here today. Those who are listening in Jesus as we partake today, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If the servers will come up here and...